With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim here today alone in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. But I was joined by a couple of friends, John Lorden of Brain Scratch and Danielle Hallen of YouTube fame as well. And they joined me here to talk about missing people and we talk about Maura Murray a bit. But really we focus on missing people where their cars were left, but the person is not there. And this sort of format is kind of based off of what John and Danielle have done on their new podcast called Crime After Crime. So check that out if you don't subscribe already. It's a lot of fun. They kind of actually use it to sort of break out of the uh, darker um, true crime that they cover. So it's actually a nice breath of fresh air if you're a fan of those two. And who wouldn't be? 
So check that out, Crime After Crime. And so in this episode, we do talk a bit about Maura Murray. We talk a little bit about Tiffany Daniels, who went missing. We talk about Brooke Allensworth, who also is missing. All these people are missing. That's from the Newark area. We talk about Brandon Lawson a little bit. We also talk about Brandon Swanson, missing from 2008 in Marshall, Minnesota. We talk about Lee Cutler, missing from Buffalo Grove, Illinois, October 20th, 2007. And we talk about Phoenix Colden a little bit, missing from St. Louis, Missouri, December 18th, 2011. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you check out Crime After Crime. Also, Lance will be back at some point soon. We are kind of upping the ante on releases on Missing More Murray on this feed. You may have noticed we have been running our other podcast called Beyond Strange World on this feed. And apologies if you don't want to hear it, but I think a lot of people do want to hear it. And it's sort of a little bit of a departure from what we normally cover. So we're going to run some other stuff on this feed. Hope you don't mind. Again, if you do, just disregard it, just delete it, download it, then delete it. That's the best way to handle it, but... And uh, also check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast. I spoke to Mike Morford of the Criminology Podcast this week, and we actually spoke about Bigfoot and aliens, and, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Definitely something different there. Last week I spoke to Captain of True Crime Garage, who uh, said he didn't write a song, a love song for Maggie Freeling, but I'm still a bit skeptical on that. And the week before I spoke to Jordan Bonaparte of the Nighttime Podcast, who is definitely related to Napoleon Bonaparte, we found out. And check out our full archive on Stitcher Premium. Check it out at stitcherpremium.com. You'll find 60 creators commentary episodes, and you'll find Missing Maura Murray's entire archive. Just want to give a shout out to Private Investigations for the Missing. This is Bruce Maitland's nonprofit that he started to hopefully to fund missing person investigations for families in desperate need of such help and not charging these people anything. That is the goal. It is a nonprofit, so you can donate now. There are links in the show notes to this, but also just follow them on social media. Michelle and Jillian are doing an excellent job in pushing this nonprofit on social media, so we want to send a special thank you out to them. So thank you very much. I really hope you enjoy this episode with John Lorden and Danielle Hallen. There are links to their work in the show notes. Welcome to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am talking with John Lorden and Danielle Hallen. How are you guys? Very good. We are doing good. Hanging good. in there. <laughs> good. Now, are you guys, uh, are you recording this together? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, we're, we're together virtually, but no, we're not actually sitting next to each other. Okay. Uh, we're in different states. Right. I knew that. <laughs> I just just making sure everyone else did. Now, uh, we have known each other for a while now and uh, sort of peripherally, but then I think we all kind of met officially last year at CrimeCon 2018. Yep. And uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, even more fun, at CrimeCon 2019 together um, acting like uh, weirdos in the, uh, in the VIP lounge. I was about to say, all those books that we signed, we had, we had a method going on. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were telling us we were the highlight of what happened in that lounge. So I was very uh, happy to hear that. Yeah. Shout out to Susie, who was uh, uh, partially running that lounge, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were there with Lance, uh, my partner in true crime. 
and uh, Justin Evans of the Generation Y. And I think it was just us and Danielle and your husband as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He was helping keep our madness yeah. somewhat, somewhat <laughs> together. <laughs> he did pretty good, actually. He's and, great. Yeah. Let me just put a big shout out to Powell. He is the man. I love whenever we're working live events together because he takes such good care of us. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and he does good video, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He took good video last year that uh, you can find on our uh, on our YouTube page, actually. So, Danielle, why do you pronounce your name Danielle when there's no I in it? <laughs> this is such a huge topic for us. Honestly, I don't know. I'm at this point pretty positive from birth on. I was just meant to confuse the crap out of people. <laughs> I'm. I mean. I was telling John earlier, I have no I in my first name. I've asked my mom why. I haven't really received a straight answer yet in the 27 years of my existence. So I'll, I'll update you if I figure that out. But I don't know. That's just how it's pronounced. Okay. And I, I kind of went with it. I was called Danelle my entire childhood, and I was too scared to correct anybody. Oh, wow. I don't think that was just your childhood, Danielle, because when I first started <laughs> reaching out to you, I was calling you Danelle also, and you weren't correcting me. And that was only a year and a half ago or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I go, I go with it. I just roll yeah. with the punches. But That's oh, yeah. fair. Now, <laughs> when did you two meet? Oh, wow. Um... It was a while ago. I actually didn't know about John when I started my YouTube channel, which was actually Oh, they almost, all say that. <laughs> almost, I'm being serious. Almost <laughs> almost two years ago. Yeah. And uh, I had a lot of people recommend his videos in my comment section. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm giving in. I'm going to see who this person is. You know, I'm going to get out of my work bubble for a moment to have some free time on YouTube. And I started looking up his stuff and his work was absolutely phenomenal. I feel like I reached out to you. I can't yeah. remember our first communication. Um, but and did I John was... big time you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no response. You're going to have to go through my assistant first. Blocked her on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, if I remember right, it was some type of... I don't want to say like a mental health issue or like a YouTube issue, but it was something I think about dealing with the stress one way. It's been an ongoing conversation for us. And I think um, it's a valid conversation to have because we've lost people in this community um, because of that. You know, they've just, they either burn out on creating content or they have very serious mental health issues that pull them out of the game. And our relationship kind of started along those lines of like, you know, how do I handle this? Or how do you yeah. deal with that? Yep. And I remember I always kind of, I really looked up to John's work and what he did. Because a, a lot of the true crime that I was seeing on YouTube was just very brief, kind of over sensationalized. And I loved what he did because he was always very respectful and he really did his research and I appreciated that. So I fangirled. I think we <laughs> Skyped for the first time one time and I was more nervous about that than anything in a very long time i was so terrified to see him like face to face and talk to him but yeah <laughs> well she and was, that was also the start of a wonderful relationship of me annoying him for the past <laughs> two years i i was literally just trying to scroll to the top of our uh, private dm on twitter to see what what the first thing was and it's so ridiculously huge it would take me mm-hmm. all day to scroll up there so uh, <laughs> i've got no no shot at it now, uh, you mentioned the community and uh, some issues with, with people dealing with some stress in the community. You're, you're talking about the YouTube community, right? 
Primarily, yeah. I mean, we care about you guys too over <laughs> at uh, Crawl Space. Or, well, um, someone needs to. <laughs> <laughs> we're, here, we're here for you. We've got your back. Yeah, you know, it's just it's um it's a it's a tough thing when you're looking into cases like this uh, for a prolonged period of time, and you're you're working on years of it. I mean, I'm I'm coming up on five years of doing this type of work, and um, it's it's one of those things you know the story about like when you're on an airplane and they talk about when the emergency masks come down that you have to put it on yourself before you put it put it on your child yeah that's kind of the mentality i have about this type of work you know we have to be taking care of ourselves well enough so that we can keep representing these stories to help those other families so you're saying you wear a mask while you do this <laughs> yes a black leather mask with a zipper mouth <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, I uh, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think you're you're hitting on something. Like there, we are, we don't really know what the long term effects are yet because there aren't a lot of people who have done it for a long time. Right. Um, at least to what we're talking about here. Um, you know, covering true crime in on YouTube and uh, in videos and on podcast audio platforms. Um, so yeah, I think that is. Definitely an interesting topic because I'm sure you guys have dealt with stress that you can attribute to doing this kind of work. I know I can and Lance can as well and some stuff I'm not proud of. And uh, But I also found it therapeutic to talk about what do you guys, how do you guys handle it? Each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of what crime after crime is for us. Exactly. Um, we kind of, we knew when we went to CrimeCon the first time that there was something special that happened when we got to meet each other. Uh, and that was that we were hanging out, we were working all day at CrimeCon, and then it was like, hey, do you guys want to go out for dinner? Let's go out for dinner. And just, we all, including Powell, we all hit it off so strong right from that start. And when Danielle and I were talking about a project we were like, okay, let's do something that feels better for us. Not that we don't feel good about what we, what we do on YouTube, but something that kind of gives us a little bit of an escape from that type of content. We still want it to be in crime, but, you know, unsolved murder cases, missing persons cases, there's a very specific feeling and tone that comes with that. And we wanted to break out of that a little bit. And that's that's why we made Crime After Crime. And even to this day, I mean, we literally recorded uh, earlier today, I feel so much lighter knowing mm -hmm. that, oh, today I'm recording an episode of Crime After Crime with Danielle. And before we rec record, uh, we do two things that I think take care of us pretty well. First of all, we just talk to each other and we kind of talk about whatever stresses we're going through. Oh my God, YouTube's doing this to me. How do I deal <laughs> with that? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm working on this collaboration. I don't know what to do with that. And then after we do that, we we record a Patreon special, which is us being very open with our patrons, uh, which is almost more of a of another conversation that just feels good, you know, because we're able to kind of talk about anything there. And then we get into crime after crime. So we have this kind of mechanism that we built where outside of that, if we ever need to talk, I mean, it's it's always a tweet away. I mean, we're, we're constantly, you know, talking to each other about other things that are going on, but knowing that once a month we get together and we get to hash things out, uh, feels good. It's, it's really good place to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm lucky and lucky to have Lance to, uh, to do that with yeah. too. And we can, um, get loose on our Patreon or our uh, creator's commentary for, uh, Stitcher premium and, and it definitely helps, but 
do do you ever wonder like why you put yourself through it because like uh to even get to the point to have someone to bounce ideas off of and things like you're putting yourself through something to where you need to do that you know yeah yeah um i think that especially for youtubers because we're handling so much of it on our own mm -hmm. I, th I think that's really the start of the bridge that happened between danielle and i um you're doing all your own research you're filming it you're editing it yourself i mean you are really steeped in it and it's not like we're working on dateline where we've got a giant production and there's different people that are part of that equation to kind of buffer some of those different feelings and different tough aspects you know we're one person each that are doing this for our own content you know and when you know previously before i really even met john and we had a lot going on together um it's it is it's difficult you're you're by yourself and even if you have a spouse to talk to or someone about the emotions you might be going through while looking into a case it's different to be able to connect to someone who lives the exact same thing you do you know it was it was very nice to meet someone that had the same intentions and dealt with the same problems had been through the same things because you know in that case they can offer you up the best advice possible and sympathize with you and I don't know. It was it was great. It was really really rough before, and I am really proud of Crime After Crime. I think we both knew right off the bat when we started talking about a project together that we really needed something. We needed a breath of fresh air, but still regarding something we were passionate about, which is you know digging into crime and figuring things out, putting puzzle pieces together. So we actually we thought a lot about how we were going to make Crime After Crime different and something that still revolved around crime, but could give us a little bit of time to take a step back so was there a moment um and maybe you each individually have an answer to this but was there a moment that you realized you needed to do something a little lighter or uh, you know separate yourself in a productive way i don't know if it was a particular moment it felt like an ongoing conversation yeah. I, I think it really kind of grew organically from the long-term conversation that Danielle and I had going on about, you know, dealing with this kind of stuff. And if we were going to work on a project together, it, it's weird because she's got a huge audience and I have a relatively big audience. And I felt like there was an expectation from our audience's perspective of what they would want to see us do together. Yeah. And we I think we knew we weren't going to meet that expectation. So we kind of created this thing on its own. It's got its own separate YouTube channel. Uh, you know, the, the whole podcast thing is already a different format. So the audience members that want to see us be serious about it, looking into these types of cases, they've got our YouTube channels. They can do that. The people that want to reach a little deeper and get to know us a little more personally can do that through crime after crime if they want to reach even deeper you know jump on a patreon for a buck a month and they'll get even more so yeah it, it, it almost feels like a funnel of you know just how how much do you really want to know us because <laughs> the john that's on the lord and arts channel is a very specific version of me it's it's a version that i've worked on for years to be able to present those types of cases in that way um what about you, Danielle? You feel like... Uh... Yeah, I don't think it was an exact moment either. I think, again, it, our, that's how our conversations kind of started, was figuring out problems that we were having. Uh, and again, it just kind of came naturally. We just wanted something that was just a little bit more lighthearted, something a little bit easier. And we did. We knew that it was likely people wouldn't necessarily be absolutely pleased with our decision. We had most people say they wanted to see missing persons cases, but... 
We almost both immediately said when we first started discussing a podcast, the first thing we both said was, we're not going to do a missing persons case. Like we, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something different. You know, we've got all these different areas where they can find us covering things like that. So yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Crime After Crime seems like a great project, uh, productive for you both and uh, helpful too like to help your 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 mental space and uh i think i only recently realized that i kind of needed an outlet uh when i was driving home and uh i had my headphones on i was listening to to, to a podcast and uh i was taking a left and there was someone waiting to turn and they had to wait for me to go and then they said something to me but i didn't completely hear them because i had my headphones on and so i just stuck my finger out the window and i go F- you <laughs> i just assumed the guy was like was like mad at me for something and uh and then it, it turned out that the road ahead was closed and he was actually trying to warn me uh and save me some time wow. and uh, i told him to f- off and uh <laughs> So that was kind of went like an eye-opening experience uh, to realize that I had, I had an occupational hazard that I wasn't really dealing with. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So I'm glad to uh, to be talking to you guys. Yeah. yeah that was well, that was earlier today. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That wasn't today. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't we don't have to always do it on. Well, that's that's kind of interesting, Tim, because you know recently we have been talking offline more and more. Yeah. Uh, so and we've been talking about serious stuff also. Well, that, yeah. So. I mean, why put yourself through it if you're you yeah. know? And and back to um, you you guys kind of were talking about the YouTube community and some some people who have lost their lives. Like, what is it is it really worth it to um? I don't know, like to put yourself through it. Right, right. Uh, I, I think it's worth it. I think raising exposure to those cases, helping those families is worth it. Uh, it's tough when the message isn't received right. I think Danielle has probably had this happen also, you know, yeah. just the certain case, the certain family member, the mix just isn't right or they don't understand what your approach is or, yep. or things like that. Um but if you're coming from a good place, I think that's just the best you can do. And, you know, covering hundreds of cases at this point, I know the vast majority um, is is people that appreciate it. And how many cases have you have you covered uh, each? I don't have a solid number. I have to be over six, seven hundred, something like no, that. Part, pardon me. <laughs> you didn't prep me. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, somewhere like that, six, seven hundred for me. I okay. have absolutely no idea how many I've made. I haven't even stopped to count. <laughs> but yeah. no it's clue. safe to say that neither of you have done uh, a show and and a hundred episodes on one case. It's just fair to say that, right? Yes. Um, okay. N- good. No, we, neither what? of us has has missing Maura Murrayed yet. I was about to, I was about to say I'm not to that okay. level quite yeah, yet. Yeah, I think the farthest I've gone. Uh, well, on Three Men in a Mystery, we're going to hit like 12 episodes. On yep. Brain Brain Scratch, when I first started it, talking about the Elisa Lamb case, I think I hit 15 on that one. Okay, so, yeah. that's a good stretch. Yeah, I can do 15 in my sleep. <laughs> yes, we know. We know. Yeah, we, we've listened to the show. We know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on on your show, Crime After Crime, you guys kind of take like a, a through line, like topic, and then you kind of discuss a few cases maybe that kind of have to do with that. And uh, I think it, I thought it would be 
a good topic to talk about disappearance cases where cars were left behind. Yeah. Yep, that, yep. Yeah, I think that's kind of along the lines of your format. And uh, I obviously, uh, we this is Missing Maura Murray. You guys are familiar with that case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have wanted to get your guys' take on it. Oh, that's scary. I yeah. feel like I'm going uh, up against a professional yeah. <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, well, I've got a, a ruler in my hand. I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna hit your hit your hand every time you're wrong. It's a really tough one, man. Because um, there's certain things that they they kind of lead you down the thought of you know did she really want to disappear, uh, either from her life or life in total, but the timing of it with, you know, there's this car crash and someone stops to talk to her. Like it's, that's not a typical way someone would escape life. No. And that's probably the one thing that's always stuck out to me. It just, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could plan that, but it just seems, it seems like quite the reach in my personal opinion. Yeah. It feels like a crime of opportunity. Um, you know, at just after sitting with it for a while and kind of looking at everything, um, I, I, I think the accident was legit. I think uh, she was waiting for help and maybe the wrong help came for her. Yeah. And we were talking about stress earlier and uh, what that can do to you. Um, I think we know Maura Murray was very stressed out when she yeah. left Amherst on her way north um, that night. But yeah. I guess I guess what we can't really know is did that stress cause her to make a decision like like poor decisions? Um, I guess you know we we know that she had alcohol in the car. We're not a hundred percent sure she was drinking. Kind of right. looks like she was, but like it's really hard I think to get your mindset into hers at that moment because of the stress factors that she was dealing with, and you know none of us really dealing with that. Yeah, and surprisingly, you know, a couple of cases um, that I've covered have involved this kind of, you know, college-aged female stress factors affecting them. They go on a trip of some kind and then something bad happens. I mean, that's essentially the Elisa Lam story in a nutshell as well. Yeah. Uh, this is a girl who's struggling at school and things aren't going well. And she decides that she's going to take this kind of reinvent myself trip um, to Los Angeles on her own. And she winds up in the water tower of this CD hotel that she's staying in. And, um, you know, she was dealing with very obvious issues. She was also um, dealing with bipolar disorder. Um, it's pretty well documented and easy to find information to support that. Uh, but I don't think it's really that far out of the norm to know that people are dealing with a lot of stress in particular when they're doing college. I mean, if you're working a job at the same time, you're trying to take on all these credits, get your education, get this thing done so you can start your life. I think for a lot of us, that's a very stressful time. You know, I covered one case in particular on my channel about a young man named Lee Cutler. And again, very similar circumstances. He was under a lot of stress, had a few mental health issues going on, some undiagnosed, some he'd already been dealing with, but he did. He took this big old long drive that made absolutely no sense, and his car was found randomly parked on the side of the road. No one's found him since, and there's, you know, there's so many different directions it could have gone, and I feel like that is such a vulnerable age to be in, and I remember some of the ways that I felt when I was under stress, and 
Sometimes your easiest option is to run away from it. Um, but whether a permanent disappearance was her intention or not, I don't know. I've always been torn so many different ways with the Mara Murray case. And I remember watching the series on, I believe, Oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and my opinion completely changing. For a while, I actually was very certain that I felt like she did plan everything. Um, That, you know, the way the car was found didn't seem like it hit the tree very hard. So I was kind of wondering, you know, she had these different maps. I am unsure because I'm not a professional, Tim. Sorry, (laughs) don't bring out your ruler. (laughs) Um, It's ready. (laughs) um, I'm not sure if this was on her route, one of the routes that she had. Um, She had directions to uh, Burlington, Vermont, and she was not in Vermont. She actually went kind of the opposite way. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, actually, that's a good point because some people do think that she um, took the wrong highway. There's a point, I believe it's uh, Highway 89 and 91, and 89 would take you up Vermont towards Burlington, but she ended up going 91, which is toward New Hampshire. And um, and I guess it's a pretty confusing point uh, on the highway. It's like not, yeah. not the hardest thing to mess up. But what would the benefit be in terms of if she was trying to escape her life? What is the staging of the accident? How does that fit in? I mean, unless you're going to torch the car and leave some form of remains in it, people are not going to assume that you know, like, I, I just don't understand how that gets her out of the situation, what what the logic of the car crash is it in, might a, in not, a faking it situation. But again, if you're under a certain amount of stress, I feel like some of your logic may go out the window. Yeah. True. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. what I'm what I'm curious about. Have, have you guys ever had moments like that personally? Or do you have any experiences where you weren't thinking clearly and uh, things could have gotten bad off the top oh. of your head? I think uh, most people as they're entering social media do yeah. that and some people get stuck in it. Um, yeah, uh, certainly, you know, look at, uh, look at anyone's Twitter account from five years ago. You're probably going to find some stuff saying, what, what was that person going through at that time? Exactly. You even deleted those tweets, John? <laughs> uh, no. And I keep trying to get them to send them to me. You know, there's this feature for send me my tweets and they won't do it. So they must oh, be really shit. bad. So no, I think, I think, I think that's part of what, endears us all to these stories is there are things that we can certainly understand and that we connect with. And for Morris story and how popular that is, I think it's easy to understand. It's, it's the age that she's at. It's the situation leading up to her disappearance that people are able to say, Oh yeah, you know, I went through something like that. Oh yeah. I also felt like that in a way and I wanted to, to get away. So that might be an interesting aspect of why people theorize about cases like this is yeah. to maybe evaluate their own uh, their own situation in some way. Right. Every time I drive by one of those signs on the highway that says, you know, stay with your car and wait for, you know, don't abandon your car. It's like wait, wait for emergency vehicles, I think is what it says. I don't know if you guys have seen those signs. Yeah. But every time I do, I think of Maura Murray and um, other people who have, who have disappeared yet their cars are still there and uh notably that's you know Brandon Maitland and Brandon Lawson as well those are two cases we've covered a bit too mm-hmm. yeah the Brandon Lawson one that um Ooh, yeah that one is yeah that's yeah, rough. that was that was a whole change for me when I hit that case because 
Uh, that's the first case that I covered on at that, at that point, I was only doing my show brain scratch and, uh, that case moved me to split off to searchlight where it's a show dedicated to missing persons cases. Um, just hearing from, uh, his father, you know, talking to his father on the phone, talking to, uh, his common law wife on the phone, hearing mm -hmm. the kids running around in the background as we're talking about where their father could be. Uh, yep. really, really moved me. And, um, quite honestly, um, that's, that's, they're responsible for searchlight even existing and me covering a few hundred different missing persons cases at this point. There's other cases as well. Uh, I covered a missing persons case on my channel about Tiffany Daniels, um, who, uh, was at Pensacola state college. If I recall correctly, she was working in the theater department, basically told them that she needed to take some time off. Uh, she went home and then it seems like she drove to the beach and all of a sudden she's gone and no one knows where she is. Um, her vehicle is found at the beach. They, uh, they are able to get some footage of seeing her vehicle traveling there. So they know that she was certainly in it at that point. They also have someone saying that it seems like a man was hanging out around that vehicle for a number of days after she had uh, been missing. Um, it's tough, but it, it's interesting because the cases where the car stays missing are almost more rare uh, and harder to explain because it's like, oh my God, there's this big, not only is a person missing, which is already terrible and hard to explain, but there's this giant object with yeah. identifying marks all over it that is also missing. Uh, and I've covered a, a few cases like that as well. Yeah, I find I feel like most of those are, um, you know, submerged vehicles like accidentally yeah. uh, landed in lakes or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely had that outcome uh, on on a few cases that I've I've covered. What about it, Danielle? You know, one that's uh, got this Maura Murray thing with a missing vehicle. I actually covered one, a man had ended his life and they couldn't find his vehicle. I will say that. And he actually stashed it in a state park. And it wasn't found for a very long time, which I find odd because I thought they had vehicles that typically went the different roads and took the different routes. But, oh my goodness. But I don't know. When yeah. it comes to cars being left behind, I've already spoken about Lee Cutler, but then um, Brandon Swanson from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. He left his car behind, but it's it's different in the way that he thought he was in one place. He called his parents, said that his car was in a ditch. He needed to be picked up. This was 2008. Um, and they came to get him. He was supposed to be only about 10 minutes away. So he should have known where he was. He should have been very familiar with the area. This is his child at home. Uh, but unfortunately, when they got there, he was absolutely nowhere to be found. And they didn't believe he had his location wrong, but they kept saying, flash your lights. He was doing it. They could hear him doing it over the phone, uh, but they couldn't find him. And I think they ended up being on the phone with him until about two in the morning. And all of a sudden he screamed explicit words. He said that he was in a club parking lot and then he hung up. And they ended up actually finding his car 25 miles away from where he said he was. And his phone was pinging 20 miles away from where he said he was. And this was a very, very rural area. I don't know where he would have been at a club. You know, he would have been familiar with this location. There was nothing wrong with his car, nothing to suggest anything. Um, very, very bizarre. And his car was kind of found in the middle of nowhere. So nothing's yeah. adding up here. <laughs> All I, these questions. 
I live in Minnesota and uh, I actually covered that case as well. And I can tell you, there's a ton of water sources out here, even mm-hmm. uh, outside of the rural areas. I mean, uh, ponds, rivers, creeks. I mean, there is just tons and tons of water sources out here. So in a case like that, you know, I'm certainly wondering, um, is, is there a, a water source that is responsible for that, that young man's disappearance? But the interesting thing about that is how far away he was from where they thought he was. Cause he was describing to them where he thought he was and they were pretty sure they knew where he was. Exactly. And it seemed like they were completely off. Other than the cars being left behind, like, are there, un- are there any other similarities that we can isolate or patterns here? It doesn't really seem like stress was a was an issue in Brandon Swanson's disappearance. No, his was just kind of bizarre. And there was definitely something else going on with it because of the location his car was found. Um, but the Lee Cutler one that I spoke about earlier, uh, his definitely reminds me a lot. Of it. It's, it was a lot of stress. He had a lot of things going on. I think he had just had a breakup. Um, and then he, he just disappeared. He didn't say anything really to anyone. He was supposed to go into work, never showed up. And that's it. Yeah, you know, the Tiffany Daniels one, we've got, we got the uh, supervisor, her supervisor at the theater. Um, she essentially told him that she wouldn't be returning for a few days, didn't really give him a reason why. Uh, no one else really knew what this was about. You know, she stopped at home, but she didn't talk to her roommate. I think her roommate was on the phone or something. Um, so just another interesting trip kind of on a whim that no one important in her life really knew about. So, oh, go ahead. What's interesting though, how that does connect back to Mara is that why give people reasons for why you're leaving if you're not planning on coming back? Because I feel like that just kind of draws attention to you more, possibly. It throws people off a little bit, but I don't know. It sits with do, me a little bit funny. Yeah, do I remember right that Mora actually said, yeah, she, she told them that she was taking a week off due to a death in the family. Yes, right? a death that didn't happen. Yes, that's accurate. Right. I got Which something ag- right. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> once again, yeah, we need a scoreboard. Um, <laughs> once again, it just seems like um, a, a possible warning indicator. You know, you're talking about that there's, I, I could see it both ways. You're using the death in the family as an excuse because you don't want people to ask for more details. Or is she really making a statement there about the possibility maybe that she's going off to leave her life in some way? Well, she was upset about something. She had been seen crying multiple times. She had told um, Bill that she, you know, wasn't in the mood to talk to anyone. I don't know. I don't know. Well, she was definitely under stress. And out of the cases that we've talked to um, so far here today, Moramari was under some stress. Lee Cutler was. Brandon Lawson was. Tiffany Daniels was. Um, Brandon Swanson and Brianna Maitland, I would say, I would put the, them in the no category. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting that we found some similarities there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've just recently covered another case. Uh, that's the case of Brooke Allensworth Mm -hmm. and that's out of Arkansas. I don't know. There's, there's pretty limited information in terms of her backstory. She's mother of three, uh, nurse, also an artist, I don't know if she had particular stressors leading up to her disappearance, but she was last seen uh, July 12th, 2018, and she was driving a 2007 black Toyota Camry. 
Um, apparently the front right tire uh, was going flat and someone used a can to fix a flat on it to repair it. And the first story I heard was that she was driving home from Newport um, to Searcy and her car is found in this area called Oil Trough, which is a town of only a few hundred people. But it's found kind of at a boat launch that is right next to a bridge that goes over a river. And the spot that it's parked in kind of looks like someone might have been trying to keep the car hidden almost. Uh, and the front right tire is completely flat at the, at the time that it's found. Uh, she's called in as a missing person. Uh, I think it took a week or two before the missing persons reports were filed. But once they were filed, um, they found the car fairly quickly. But then there was this kind of initial assumption that went out through the media that, well, it seems like the tire repair didn't hold and she was just pulling off the side of the road because her tire was going flat again. It doesn't really make a lot of sense when you look at the actual area and where the road ends. She has to take this little side road to get to the parking area for the boat ramp. I mean, it's got to be at least a thousand feet away. And there's no traffic that's coming through where the boat ramp is. I mean, if you want help, you're going to stay up on the road where people are coming by. Um, when her car is found, it's locked. Her cell phone and her cigarettes are still left in it. Once again, if she was needing help, she had a cell phone. Um, so yeah, just a lot of bizarre questions. I think that's something about all these cases that just grabs all of us are, you know, these unanswerable questions. It's just like, what the heck happened? Is she the one that even drove it there? Yeah. I would, I'd be curious to know more about, uh, the circumstances leading up to her disappearance, but yeah, she got her nails done. I think I read uh, that seems, it yeah. seems hard to believe just the day before or uh yeah it just seems hard to believe that she would just decide to go missing or, or commit suicide or something at that point but especially a, a mother of three and you know there's another really really bizarre fact that's actually in the namus profile for that one which is they think for the clothing that she was wearing that she was wearing two left shoes and one of them was uh just like a flip-flop or a flat and the other one was a wedge huh just bizarre i mean yeah. I, I have no idea danielle do you have any can you think of any possible reason why someone would be wearing first of all just two separate shoes you know a, like a flip-flop and a wedge but then on top of that for both of them to be the left someone that's not in their right mind potentially drugs potentially mental health uh i mean the list yeah. could go on and on there could, it could be severe stress and just someone snapping yeah, the only real indicator that I got in looking through uh, the details of that story was her family saying that they're worried that she might have fallen in with, you know, the wrong people. Um, but I didn't have any other indicators of any, you know, drug abuse or anything like that. Yeah, looking, that's what I was going to ask. Was she estranged at all with her family, I guess? No, you know, she'd gone through a divorce, but I don't oh, know okay. how soon that had been. And where where her car is found is in a strange spot. Uh, her sister was commenting on web sleuths later and talked about that she was actually seen at her home in Searcy that morning. But either way you cut it, for her to wind up at oil trough, it's just, it's kind of a, a wrong direction, If she, at least if she was going back to Newport, which um, I'm, I'm really not sure of at this point. If she was home at Searcy, I think she was going out in the direction of oil trough or something could have potentially happened to her at her home and then someone took her car 
out to that area in particular to hide it while things cooled down. Um, but anytime we're talking about a missing persons case and we have a body of water, that's just like warning flag. Just Yeah, you got to go there first, I guess. Yeah, and especially, I mean, her car is literally as close to the boat ramp as you can park a vehicle. Um, and if something bad happens there, you know, um, it could be that someone was was taking her out to the water. I don't know. I'm like, I'm a very skeptical person. <laughs> I try to look at things, you know, all around because I feel like in a lot of the cases that I've covered on my channel, there's sometimes very obvious routes you go. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Um, I covered something a little bit similar to that one, John. Um, I cannot remember exact details, <laughs> so forgive me for that. But a woman was struggling with mental health. Um, she also left in a bizarre choice of clothing. This was up in Canada, it was colder, and she was not prepared for that. And her car was found right by a body of water. Um, but personally, I don't know. I know the body of water was checked. She was not found in the body of water. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. I'm the kind of person where I, I look at the obvious ways that this could go, but I'm not one to jump to it. So I don't, I don't know. Because you could also, if this was someone that had taken Brooke and parked her car by a body of water, it doesn't mean that's necessarily where she ended up. If this was someone right. else that was in charge of that. So... Yeah. And that's an interesting aspect to this case. You had her home uh, is where one missing persons report was filed, but her vehicle is found in a different city that is essentially managed by the county sheriffs. So they filed a missing persons report. And then you have the state police eventually saying, uh, we're going to assist on this because we're not, I think they're basically not sure if where her car is found is actually related to her disappearance. So now you've got this kind of multi-jurisdictional issue going on and state police are trying to come in and help with that. You know, what's actually really interesting that I just thought of a case that is eerily similar to Mara is Phoenix Colden. I don't know mm. if anyone here is familiar with that. No. So Phoenix had uh, grown up in, she was homeschooled by her mother, um, very religious family. And then she was, she was kind of rebellious against it. She had her mom really control a lot of her life. Um, and she went off to college and she kind of flew off the handle a little bit. She was not behaving the best, possibly involved herself in drugs. She actually dropped out of school and didn't tell anyone. And then she finally came back home for the summer, despite not going to school. And one day, she was arguing with her boyfriend. Things weren't going well in that relationship. She was thrown back into another environment, her home, where she felt like she was kind of trapped. She had a lot of things going on, and she just walked out of the door one day didn't really say anything to anyone, got in the car and drove off. And her car was actually found, I think it, I cannot remember if it was running still, but it was just kind of parked off the side of the road. It looked as if she had possibly parked at a stop sign. And um, I remember some of her things had been taken yeah. out of the vehicle and something still remained on the inside. It was just a very, very bizarre situation. And no one can figure out if she willingly left or if she was taken out of the vehicle. It's very, very similar. Um, but Yeah, car's still running, it does say. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I feel like her 
door was open as well, but I do know some of her items were missing from the vehicle, which indicated to a lot of people that she left on her own. And she had been going through a lot of stress. She was, you know, in the middle of dealing with her parents again, figuring out what she wanted to do with school, if she wanted to go back, how she was going to talk to her parents about it. She had also been uh, taking money from uh, her parents. Mm. So interesting. I just now thought of that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of impressed you were able to pull all that back on the top <laughs> of your head. I know you've covered a lot of cases, yes. Danielle. <laughs> um, okay, so that now that was that happened in Spanish Lake, Missouri. So that's uh, was the, her car yes. near water as well. Um, I don't think it was. It was on the highway, if I'm correct, or I guess it used to be a road right off of the highway. It's grown mm-hmm. since, but. Um, yeah, but she, I mean, she was under a lot of stress at the time. And, yeah. And no one, I mean, not a single person can really fully decide what they believed happened. There's such a split in it to where they think she just went off. But where would she have gone? I feel like there's always this lingering question when it comes to if someone ran away or not when their car is left behind, why would they leave it behind? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't they just take it to get to their destination? What would cause someone to leave their car and run off? Yeah. yeah. It it doesn't seem like in a, a lot of these cases, even though stress is definitely a common factor in a lot of them, it doesn't seem to me like suicide is the most likely outcome. And maybe I'm just an optimist, but... Um, no, I don't... I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Brandon Lawson's case um, is not close to water, but I think it's similar in the fact that the terrain was very dangerous. Yeah. So I think the possibility of an accidental death is very high yeah. in his case. I think there's a strong chance that Brandon is in the wilderness out there on private property. Absolutely. Yeah. Still, All the places they won't let people search. Yeah. Yeah. So other ones near water that we've talked about tonight, um, we've got Brooke, Brooke Allensworth. We've got... Tiffany Daniels as well Mm -hmm. is near water. Yeah, actually, one of the theories is that she might have gone off um, into the water and, you know, some accident happened. Um, Yeah. But obviously she hasn't been found. Uh, Lee Cutler was also found by water. There was a pretty large river and they actually found he had a campsite set up beside the river. They found evidence that he was there, and they did find notes potentially indicating suicide. He was a very cryptic person, and he he wrote a lot. So whenever he was dealing with his emotions, he would write everything down. Um, So there's some people that agree it was potential suicidal thoughts. Others say it's just the way that he would get his emotions out. Um, But it was right beside water. I think it was only a few feet from the riverbank. Uh, I know that they searched it. They searched very well. They found some of his belongings. He was Jewish. His yarmulke was found beside the river. Um, and I believe his pants and his belt were draped over a tree branch. Hmm. But authorities searched the entire thing, and they were confident enough that it was there was so much debris in the river that if he was in there, they would have found him. So a lot of people believed he ran off and staged it. He had a book. Yeah. He had the book Into the Wild, I believe it's called, and his trunk. Oh, and okay. I know yeah. a lot of people are familiar, but if you're not, it's about a young man that kind of goes off to find himself. Yep. Um, and ends up dying in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, that's. I just don't understand um, with accidental deaths or suicide. You know, if all these cases are that, why haven't haven't there been bodies found in all these cases? And I know some there are some individual aspects of why, like with Brandon Lawson's case, there's a chance he's on someone's private property way out there, and just no one's come across that yet. No one's been able to search that yet. Obviously, water uh, brings up different issues with the ability to search, um, but it, eventually, a lot of times, bodies that are submerged in water appear, you know? It does. Yeah, it certainly does happen uh, a lot of times, but we also have instances like the um, the Salish Sea feet mystery. Do you know about that one? Uh, are you talking about the feet that uh, appear? Yeah. Yeah, the, the shoes that keep appearing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting because just seeing I mean they've had like fourteen occurrences of of you know these shoes appearing now yeah and knowing that that is kind of a mechanism where at least some of the remains are finding their way back to shore in that instance you would think that why aren't we seeing more of that you know why aren't we seeing in some of these missing persons cases where oh their shoe has actually been found uh, at a at a later point especially with how shoes are made and uh, injection molded and air you know filled in them and all kinds of stuff that adds to their buoyancy now. So are you saying that a serial killer uh, takes takes people and then cuts their uh, feet off and then throws them by the shore? <laughs> Don't start the, uh, <laughs> the the tennis shoe serial killer theory. We'll have we'll have uh, two detectives writing a book on it in no time. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> well, so you're saying that that's natural uh, way for a body to decompose yes. in water? Yeah, yeah, and it, it makes sense because of how articulated your ankle is, and that through the decomposition process, it's going to separate. So I'm just I'm surprised that we're not seeing more cases of you know these shoes kind of winding up. Uh, with some of these missing persons cases. I did have one, um, if I remember right, it's actually tied to one of the shoes from that. Um, I, feel like, where it was, I feel like I remember you telling me this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was just weird because I I had covered the Salish Sea thing on Brain Scratch as kind of this weird mystery and, you know, talked about the possibility of, or the reality of what's going on there with how the shoes are now manufactured and, and how that's adding to them coming back. But on a Searchlight episode, I had covered this one story about a young man, once again, a bunch of pressure, just got out of jail, um, I think got into a fight with someone, and all of a sudden one of these shoes are found and it actually turned out to belong to that young man. Um, so yeah, it's it's been pretty rare that i've had two separate episodes kind of cross over like that but uh in morris case we we don't have a body of water around there do we well we do yeah there's the wild amanusik river um it's not far but it uh is unclear how accessible it really was at that time of year and it was definitely traipsing through some backyards to get to it at least where her car is uh where her car was left um she would have been traipsing through a backyard or two but she could have gone down the road and found it um very accessible um again unclear of how high the water was or even if it was really frozen over or not Mm -hmm. any bridges over that uh, not right there, but there okay. there definitely are. Maybe like within like a, maybe a mile or a little less. Back, but yeah. that would have been back the other way that uh, she was apparently driving. 
Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, guys. So I think we found some uh, some interesting common factors here mm-hmm. with disappearances where cars are left behind. I think in most ca- in most cases, stress is absolutely a factor when that person leaves, and then maybe they're not thinking too clearly by the time they've parked their car. And we've also found that being close to water is similar in some cases, but not all, not as many as the stress, actually. So stress, uh, by, by the numbers here, would seem more of a common factor than being parked near water. I think it's really important to touch on how personal of an item a car is. Uh, some of us see it as an extension of ourselves. Some of it see it as our home away from home. We keep all our personal objects in there. Some of us name our cars. Some of us name our animals after our cars. Danielle. Um, <laughs> Call, well, wait, what? <laughs> what? Please, uh, please fill us in on this. Uh, Danielle might have a dog named, what is it, Danielle? Honda. <laughs> she was the same color i was having a hard time making a decision you know it just it worked out does your car have a name too no yeah it's dog Uh, i was just gonna say (laughs) dog um but it's it is just it's um it is a very personal object to a lot of us so i do think that it's interesting that people would separate and some of us think of it as a safety zone also sure um, well, so. i think that's a good point i think one of the issues though with looking at looking at it that way is that we try to understand my biggest question earlier was why on earth would you leave your car you know like you just said it's it's important to you it's expensive we don't want to leave it on the side of the road it is safety for us but that's kind of looking at things again from a very like average state of mind if you are going through a lot you're not going to be logical i mean you know i've spoken about it on my channel before i had a really hard time with postpartum depression after my son and some of the things that I did, it's it's like Tim was asking us, I have no idea why I ever would have done half of those things. In those moments, you know, we're, we're trying to make sense of something that might not make sense because we'll never be in that state of mind. We'll never be in the state of mind of that person. So I don't know. I'm one of those crazy people that still thinks it's possible she ran off somewhere and planned it. Maybe. But, yeah. you know, that it's might just, be the happy ending in this story. It's if, just kind of hard to rule that out based on things that we're trying to look at in our own logical way. Does that make any sense? I hope you're understanding me. (laughs) No, it makes sense. It's hard to put yourself in that mindset when you're not in a super stressed out zone. I mean, you don't know what you would have done in that, you know, being put in that situation. You you can't even compare yourself now, like having a a pretty logical conversation, except for a few things John said. Um, But, uh, you know, if you were to put yourself now into those situations, you know, you you just can't compare the way Maura Murray was thinking and the way we're thinking now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she... She got in trouble at her school previously. She had just had that credit card that she had issues with. She had, you know, wrecked her dad's car. That's a whole lot kind of going on in her mind in that moment. And it was interesting because I was actually just watching John's coverage on Mara Mara earlier on YouTube. And he said something, um, I think that you and Lance had actually brought up that was she possibly worried about something happening at school? Like, was there something else that she had done that she was worried about was going to catch up to her? And I don't know. There's just so many different 
so many different ways you could go with this. Well, it's an interesting thought because she did leave the school, you know? So if there was some issue there, maybe it would make some sense to get away and, you know, go away from where the issue is. But yeah, we have not really found um, anything that would, that would lead to that. So I don't know. It's so, it's so difficult. I find it interesting that the people at that one party don't want to talk much about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a hard, hard one for, for me to wrap my head around too. I mean, part of me thinks that they, they know that they would just get, um, sort of put through the ringer in the court of public opinion, uh, regardless, even if they, you know, came out at all, they put their name out there, maybe it prevents them from getting a job. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't know who those men were at the party. Uh, we know that Mora had two friends, at least somewhat close to, you know, anywhere from acquaintances to yeah. friends um, that she was hanging out with. And we've never spoken to them. They have not really surfaced throughout the past few years. But that doesn't mean that they're not following around and wouldn't add something if they felt they had something to add. Yeah. I'm not convinced they have anything to add. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. But thank you, John and Danielle, for joining us here. And uh, what else have you guys got going on on Crime After Crime and your other projects, too? <laughs> We're actually nearing our one-year anniversary. It's probably already passed by the time this is up. So that's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Be, be sure to check it out. The f- best Florida man story. It's nice. going to be the theme of that episode, and we're going to try to get some special guests to come on there to share their Florida Man birthday headline as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've got uh, the first anniversary coming up, um, just business as usual on the YouTube channels, lots of new cases to look into. Uh, I'm trying to plan something a little special for the fifth anniversary of Brain Scratch, which is going to be at the start of 2020. So working on kind of a bigger project around that. Um, that's about it right now. Very cool. Well, thank you both for joining me, joining me here today. I really appreciate uh, chatting with you guys. Thank, thank you so you. much. We appreciated the invitation. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.